Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Last night I had a dream that Molly Ringwald was running for president, and I liked it. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining. 18 and over, that's right. If you're a kid that's under the age of 18, this show's not for you. If you're a kid over the age of 18 and you smoke a pipe, or you're any age and you smoke a pipe, this is your weekly broadcast dedicated to all things we enjoy, all kinds of pipes, all kinds of tobaccos, I am your host, Brian Levine, and in tonight's show, going to tell a tale of two pipe brands from England. Yes, Astley's and Lowy. My guest is Jerry Posner. Jerry is a uh, professional training specialist, a motivational speaker. Jerry is uh, one heck of a character, and uh, by the way, he enjoys his pipes and enjoys them a lot. Um, music for the summertime, mailbag, and rant part two from a couple of weeks ago. So all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Don't forget we have changed categories on iTunes. We are now in the hobbies category. So if you're not getting your normal feed there, check your download feed. We might be, uh, the category switch may have gotten you. While you're on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a feedback, rating, and review. That would be absolutely wonderful. All those do help the show get found and help the show show up higher in the uh, in the listings. All right, going on here at home, it is race week, so if you hear some noises, it's all the cars or all the airplanes coming in and out. Uh, tonight is qualifying night at Charlotte Motor Speedway, six miles away from me. There is a lot of uh, racing and drinking going on over there. Spent last weekend, uh, Saturday afternoon, walking around the racetrack. That was a lot of fun. Didn't go in and see the race. Went home and watched it. This weekend, I will see 900 miles of NASCAR racing. Yeah, boy. My neck's going to be redder than a strawberry. In the meantime, let's get this show going, so sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. This is Internet Radio. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, 
spicy periques, or unique aromatics. We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. In just a few minutes, Jerry Posner will be on the phone, but in Pipe Parts, I want to tell the tale of two smaller British brands that I'm sure some of you are very familiar with. The names are Lowy, L-O-E-W-E, and Astley's, A-S-T-L-E-Y apostrophe S. Here's why I want to tell the tale of them, because they're two very old British names, Lowy, started by the Frenchman Emil Lowy in 1856, and Astley's, founded by W.M. Astley in 1862, both in London, but both very different. Astley's was a retail tobacco shop on German Street in London and started out primarily focused on Meerschaum pipes, which were the popular pipes of the time. Now, in 1856, when Emil Lowy opened up his pipe factory and retail store on Haymarket in London, he started out making briar pipes. And it is quite possible that Lowy was the first briar pipe brand made in England. Now, what's interesting about these two is that one is a brand that is selling out of his own retail store but also doing some distribution and the other one is a retailer who is having stuff specifically made for him. Astley's goes on in the turn of the century to start bringing in briar pipes. The Astley's store was a destination on the very fashionable, very trendy, very high-end German street area and serviced the higher-end clientele. So they, of course, went to some of the best pipe companies to have their pipes made. Now, according to Pipepedia.org, Pipepedia.org, all of the Astley's pipes up until about the 1980s were made by Sheraton. So all the Astley's pipes up until the 1980s were made by Sheraton. Then the ownership changes of both Sheraton and the Astley's brand. The store is closed. Uh, Madi Erzadi, who also owns the James Upshaw pipe brand, ends up buying the rights to the Astley's name. And after the mid-70s and into the 80s, the Astley's pipes were made right alongside... Upshaws, Dunhills, and even Bill Taylor. I at one point owned an Astley's pipe that I showed to Bill Taylor, and he said absolutely that was his way of, that was one that he made. And, uh, you know, after Sheraton had changed hands, Astley's kind of continued on as a high-grade pipe and kind of elevated itself a little bit, but then kind of lost favor. Uh, One of the ways to date Astley's pipes, which is pretty much the only way. Most of the ones you'll see simply say Astley's 109 German Street, London. And then before that, the older ones may say W.M. Astley and Company, 
German Street, Southwest London, they all have an A on the stem. Lowy, on the in the same same kind of manner, went through an ownership change and became part of the Cadogan Group, the same group that bought GBD and Kamoys and kind of got merged in. And Lowy became, at one point, was supposed to be a high-end GBD Kamoys product, but kind of faded out with uh, with a lot of the stuff that was going on in England with the pipe factories in the 70s and so on and so on. And it changed hands. Prior to that, one of the things that Lowy was very popular for was their silver spigot or silver mounted pipes. They state, or Emil Lowy states, that the reason he did silver mounted pipes was to make stem replacement very easy. You could take a standardized stem, push it into the silver mount, and away it went. Um, some of the ways to date some of the Lowy's, if it says Lowy, London, West, that's kind of newer. If you just see the L and CO on there in a circle, that's going to be some of the older ones. At times they were using different grading systems for different styles of names like Centurion and Old English were, uh, were grading. They did, of course, the mounted and the silver spigots, and they did standard and straight grains, which was also another way to help age date the silver and to tell the quality of it and at times even you'd see a Sassini-esque naming of shape names instead of a factory shape name so they'd use a name for a shape instead of a number that numbering system or that name system went away the minute Cadogan took over the factory either way if you can find some older pieces on the estate market both of them represent undervalued for where they are or for the quality of the pipe that they are, dramatically lower prices than what you're going to find in Dunhills of the 50s and 60s and high-grade Sheratons of the same time period. Both great pipes, both a lot of history in them. Both pipes that when you when you pick up those brands, you really wonder, you know, where have they been and what would they say? All right, Astley's and Lowy's, a tale of two different pipes, two different pipe brands, same kind of route. In just a minute, Jerry Posner will be on the phone with me. Signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And, signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Mm -hmm. Hey! 
Satleff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malta Dolce blend in public. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. I am excited to introduce you all to my guest, Jerry Posner. Jerry is a motivational speaker, a training specialist, an author, a pipe smoker, and we're going to get to this, I promise, because, Jerry, you're the first ukuleleist we've had on the show. So, Jerry, well, welcome. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. And uh, the ukulele community is grateful as well, I'm sure. The, I think maybe the ukulele and the pipe, if you know, they're perfect two items to have a perfect comeback at the same time. Well, I usually don't smoke the pipe while I'm playing the ukulele. Does the ukulele get in the way? Well, you know, it's like when I smoke my pipes, I like to be with the pipe. I like to experience it. Although I like to write when I smoke the pipe or be on the computer. But I don't like to, to play music. A lot of people do. Uh, guitar players uh, might be smoking a pipe while they practice the guitar, which is which is great. But for me, when I play the ukulele, generally no pipe. So let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us where'd you grow up and all that stuff. Okay, Brian. Well, I uh, I grew up in northern New Jersey, um, in Bergen County, New Jersey, Teaneck, New Jersey, and um, what was great about growing up was right around the corner from where I lived, there was this book bookstore called a book pub. And the book pub also sold tobacco and pipes. And when I was about 16 or 17 years old, I got to be very good friends with the owner of the store who smoked a pipe. And I really wanted to smoke a pipe. I liked what I uh, saw and the aroma of the pipe and all the different pipes because they sold pipes at the book pub. They sold books and they sold pipes and they sold some tobacco. Um, they sold Balkan Sobrani and Flying Dutchman and McBaron tobacco and the old round tins and uh, Borkham Riff and Bengal slices. And so I started smoking a pipe because of this bookstore and because of the guy who owned it, who I really liked. And then he hired me, and I was working in the bookstore, <laughs> and I could smoke my pipe as I worked in the bookstore. So it's like the ideal teenage situation where I get to smoke a pipe, uh, get pipes and tobacco at a discount, and work in a bookstore all at the same time, which was just so great. So that was kind of my introduction to pipes. And, and growing up in, in Teaneck, where, where I did, right across the bridge in Hackensack, was a really good pipe shop. It was called Smoke Rings and Things. And it was just one of those nice little pipe shops. And I used to go there all the time. And I actually got quite a collection of pipes. Um, I spent a lot of my free money on pipes. Also going across the bridge to New York City to go to concerts at the Fillmore East, which was also something I did quite a bit in those days. So I'm growing up in Teaneck. I'm smoking a pipe. I'm working in the bookstore. And um, I went to college in Boston. I went to Emerson College. I was a mass communications major. And living in Boston in the 70s was just great for a pipe smoker because there was uh, Peretti's and there was Ehrlich's. And these were just classic pipe shops. Peretti's is still there. I used to go to Peretti's all the time. I remember I smoked a blend 
um, called uh, Lexington, which was an aromatic blend that um, tasted a little bit like grape. I don't huh. think they make it anymore. They called it Lexington, which was kind of a joke because it was a play on Concord, you know, Concord <laughs> grapes. But they called the blend Lexington. <laughs> so that was pretty good stuff, uh, living in Boston and uh, just having access to all these really great uh, classic pipe shops. And those were really shops that were pipes and pipe tobacco and happened to accidentally sell and supply cigars as well. Yeah, I never got into cigars. But uh, from the very beginning, I was interested in Meerschaum pipes. And uh, we had some Meerschaums at the book pub, and I bought them. And I found out about uh, Chaim Pinchas in uh, Istanbul, where you can order Meerschaum pipes directly from this guy. I think he was one of the very first uh, exporters of, uh, of Meerschaum pipes. They were kind of medium, medium to low quality. They weren't really great quality pipes. The thing about Meerschaums is um, throughout the ages, and I've had them since the late 60s, early 70s, right up until today, that most of the quality of Meerschaum pipes, I would say inconsistent. Uh, until maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, there started to be um, better engineering in the Meerschaum pipes and carvers like uh, like Bakke and Imp pipes and Altenach and um, even some of the Beckler pipes, which were uh, distributed by Golden Horn and also CAO, yeah. Um, Beckler, uh, Ismet Beckler was considered really one of the best carvers in Turkey, but his pipes also I found to be somewhat inconsistent as far as the engineering, the draw. You know, you don't not always get a really open draw. But now uh, it seems that the uh, the pipes, the Meerschaums, kind of in the hundred fifty, two hundred dollar to three hundred dollar range, are really well engineered pipes, well carved, good good Meerschaum stone. Back in those days, you know, you get a good Meerschaum in the 60s and 70s, you're paying maybe, you know, 25 30 maybe $40 for a Meerschaum. Wow. Do you remember your first pipe? Yeah, it was a little basket pipe, a little <laughs> bent, like a little tiny Umpal kind of pipe. Paid $3.98 for it. And I smoked Borkum Riff in it. And your, your pipe uh, your pipe of preference became Meerschaum, but did you did you try a bunch of Briars first? And, and oh yeah, yeah. Back in the seventies, I was very fond of Nording freehands. Mm -hmm. I just liked the way they they looked, and actually, just between you and me, I, I didn't really care for the, how they smoked. <laughs> they kind of, <laughs> I thought they got too hot, and the draw on some of them was not so great. But I just love those pipes. I had Nordings, I had Stanwells, I had Petersons, got some from Nat Sherman in New York. Um, of course, got a Pioneer Calabash, because we all had Pioneer Calabashes. Um, I had, uh, uh, when I was living in Boston, I had about 30 or 40, maybe 50 pipes. And uh, when, on the eve of my 23rd birthday, I was out of college. I was working in a recording studio in Boston as a radio uh, producer, primarily radio commercials and, uh, and soundtracks. We were working in a commercial studio. And on the eve of my 23rd birthday, I had um, kind of a near-death experience where um, I went out to dinner. It was the eve of my 23rd birthday. And this woman, who was an actress, asked me out for dinner on my birthday. And I said, yeah. 
And my friend said, don't, no, don't go with her. She's, she's, she's bad news, this, this woman. I said, hey, I'm 23. I'm going. So <laughs> I did. And later, um, it turned out that her ex-boyfriend um, was targeted. Um, there was a hit on him. That is, <laughs> some people were hired to kill him. And the people who were hired to kill him thought I was him or oh. I was he. And um, I, I, was, I was beaten up and uh, some, it was really very bad. And these people that were hired to kill the guy who um, attacked me um, were on some kind of hallucinogenic drugs, probably angel dust. They were insane. And at a certain point, I, I, I played dead and they thought that they had succeeded in killing me. And they left me alone. And so I lived. And about for two weeks after that, I was in a, in a kind of an altered state of, uh, of happiness, um, of uh, non-anxiety, and just feeling so good and positive, more than I ever did in, in my whole young life. Then, after a couple of weeks, I kind of went back to my baseline level of happiness and well-being. And I got very interested at that point in... How do you be happier? I mean, is it possible to get to actually be a more positive, happier person? And I became extremely interested in uh, psychology and neuroscience and um, the self-help movement. And at that point, I thought maybe spirituality was the way. And so I decided I would move to California and pursue a spiritual path for a while. And so I needed to sublet my apartment in Boston. And this, this guy came over to sublet it, and I said, do you smoke a pipe? And he said, no, but my uncle does. And I said, here, give him these. I, I gave him my whole pipe collection at that time. Oh, wow. I said, well, I'm not going to smoke a pipe for a while, and I'm going to you know, go pursue spiritual stuff. I'm not going to smoke a pipe. So I gave him my whole pipe collection, and he was just floored by that. So I went to California and checked out various teachers and ashrams and monasteries. And, and then, after the spiritual path thing, um, I was hired by a comedy radio station. It was all comedy. <laughs> and I was the program director of an all-comedy radio station. And I did middays. And it was like Top 40 radio, except it was all comedy cuts. It was kind of like uh, Sirius XM satellite comedy channel, except it was commercial. And I started smoking a pipe again. And I started collecting meerschaums and briars, but I realized soon that I just like meerschaums more. And so eventually I sold off all the meerschaums, all, all the briars rather. So eventually I sold off all the briars and kept all the meerschaums. And to this day, that's all I smoke, meerschaums. I was in the San Fernando Valley, and I remember KMDY. Oh, my God! KMDY, AM850, KMDY. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's terrific. I can't believe it. Such a small station, too. I did a, real quick, I did a high school internship at a top, at an easy listening top 40 station in the val in the San Fernando Valley that was, I think it was KGIL. Oh, KGIL, sure. And it had about uh, three watts of broadcast power. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, so, you, you heard KMDY. You may have yeah. heard me. Yeah, especially when I was working at the Renaissance Fairs up there. Oh, yeah, in, in uh, Ventura County. Yep. Yeah. So, How about that? So I remember it well. What, what pipe shops were you visiting when you were in, the, in Southern California? Well, if I recall, it was uh, Tinder Blocks. Yep. 
Right. There was a t- there was a tinder block at the Thousand Oaks Mall, and I think that was the only pipe shop I was aware of at the time, because I was living in uh, Agoura Hills. I was in um, the Conejo Valley, yeah. which is just north of the San Fernando Valley, and uh, I think I just bought all of my stuff at the tinder block. Yeah, tinder tinder box. Yeah. Oh, great old days. So, describe for us the difference for you between smoking a smoking a briar and smoking a meerschaum. There are a lot of things I like about the meerschaum. The fact that it colors over time is not just aesthetically pleasing to me, but it gives a sense of developing as my life goes forward. The meerschaum develops too. That is, the meerschaum looks different now than it did five years ago or 10 years ago, as I am different than I was five years ago or 10 years ago. So there's a little bit of that changing as as life changes, the meerschaum changes. I love that about the meerschaum. I I love the way it smokes. I love the way it it turns color. And I I love the aesthetics of of the stone. There's just something that's just so appealing to me. And the quality of the smoke, different people have different ideas and opinions about how smoking out of a meerschaum is different than smoking out of a briar. That Some say that, that the taste of the tobacco is, is more pure, it is less colored, or it is, it is less affected when you smoke in a meerschaum. And some say the meerschaum does not ghost as, as, uh, as frequently as, as a briar. Of course, a meerschaum will ghost. Right. Um, before I got married, I only smoked heavy-duty Latakia blends, and my and the meerschaums would would definitely ghost, um, especially if I'm smoking a very heavy blend, uh, a heavy Latakia Balkan or, or English blend. Uh, the pipe will smell like that. Since I got married six and a half years ago, I've introduced more aromatic tobacco, and uh, you know, so when I smoke in the house, which is okay. Um, you know, my wife is okay with that, which I'm really grateful for. But you know, heavy-duty Latakia uh, blends, I won't smoke in the house. I'll smoke that on the porch or, or outside. But the, the Meerschaum experience is something that some people just find more pleasing. And many pipe smokers have both um, Meerschaums and, and Briars, and I think it is, it is more rare to be 100% Meerschaum. But I found myself only only going for the meerschaum, and every time I would want to smoke a pipe, I'd go for the meerschaum. So I figured I really don't need to have briar pipes. I always like to smoke the meerschaums. So you trimmed down your uh, collection again and focused on meerschaums. I did. Um, at one time, I had uh, maybe about 100 meerschaums. <laughs> and then, you know, as I got older... I decided I don't really need all of those meerschaums. Um, I'd rather sell off the ones that I don't smoke regularly and have a smaller rotation. Um, that's just more what I want right now. I used to collect guitars. I had a lot of guitars. Now I just have two. Of course, I still have like 14 ukuleles and um, maybe a dozen Appalachian dulcimers, a few auto harps. <laughs> I used to have many more. Uh, but I figure... I don't really need that. And as far as pipe smoking, I really like having a rotation of maybe 15 or 20 pipes. And the pipes that I smoke, that I love to smoke them, that I'm not going to sell them, I'm not going to give them away. 
they're the ones that just work for me the best. And um, I have a few that are carved by Baki. I, th- I think his work is, is superb. have a few imps, a few Altanachs. I have a few Becklers. I've always liked the, the work of Ismet Beckler. I've always loved his work. He's a very prolific carver. And some of his work is, is so interesting, uh, whimsical, um, some of it's avant-garde. And I really like his creativity, uh, Ismet Beckler. I really love his stuff. And, and Bowers, I have a few of those, too. But um, I'm just not into the collecting as much. I'm mostly into enjoying the ones that I have and appreciating them. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, I got a couple questions that popped into my head, so we'll be back in just a minute. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, still visiting with Jerry. Jerry, let me ask you this. Uh, do your do the Meershams that you own, do they lend more towards more towards the figurals, or do you have any traditional shaped? Uh... I would say it's more traditional than figural. I've got figurals, but I mostly smoke the, uh, the more traditional shapes. And... Um, of course, some of the Becklers I have are variations on the traditional shapes. They're, they're unique shapes. Um, I would not call them traditional, but they're not figural. You know, they're not, they're not sultans or, or princesses or lions. You know, they're, they're sculptures. You know, they're interesting sculptures. I've got a pretty nice Santa Claus pipe um, and a couple of Becklers that are, um, that are figural. But in my older years now, I'm past the middle-aged point, um, I think I just gravitate toward a, a beautifully uh, constructed, traditional-shaped Meerschaum pipe uh, made out of a, a high-quality Meerschaum stone and with good engineering, so the draw is good. So as everyone says, will it pass a pipe cleaner? Clearly, yes. If it does that, that's wonderful. Um, so yeah, I think I think I do gravitate more toward the traditional shapes now. Now you you mentioned that the darkening of the pipe you enjoy how it changes over time with you. Does the taste of the pipe 
change over time as it gets as it gets darker as it colors i think that it's really hard to give you an objective answer to that since taste is such a subjective thing uh generally i would say that it does but in my opinion not in a dramatic way because i clean my pipes really well after every smoke um i'll take a pipe cleaner and i'll dip the tip a little bit into um, maybe vodka and just clean the stem. And then I'll take a paper towel and kind of ream the bowl with a paper towel and, and give it a nice cleaning after every smoke. And by doing that, you're kind of getting a clean smoke every time. Um, and you're getting a pretty good flavor. And you're not getting a cake buildup. You know, you're, you're cleaning it every time. And so it's not really building up a cake. You also mentioned that you smoke a whole bunch of different tobaccos and that you kind of bounce around. Has your taste evolved over time? Yeah, maybe it's devolved. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. It changes. Um, I like to experiment. I love the the smaller um, blenders, like uh, Stephen Books of the House of Calabash. He has a blend called For Meersham's Only. And he has a a very expensive blend called Fermiersham's Only Reserve, which I don't think is available anymore. It it has some very old tobacco in it. I like his stuff very much. Um, And then, of course, GLPs. I love his Maltese Falcon. I went through a period where that was all I smoked for a while. I just Maltese Falcon all the time. Then I might wander to uh, Pipework and, and, and Wilkie. Um, they used to have a retail store in Manchester, Vermont, which is not too far from where I live, and I would drive up there and get their tobacco or get it through the mail, and there's the Hearth and Home tobaccos, of which there's gazillions of them. Um, and it's funny, I never never smoked uh, aromatics until I got married, and now I smoke aromatics around the house, and I find that um, uh, House of Calabash has a an aromatic called uh, Grandfather's Own, which is just so good. And Yulee's, I like Yulee's, and I like Sterling Tobacco, and Peretti's, of course. Peretti's has a, has a, a, a non-aromatic um, called Tashkent that I, I just think is fabulous. That I would not smoke in the house, because it's <laughs> quite the Latakia aroma, which I don't think my wife likes very much. <laughs> But it's good on a on a cool evening. Oh, on a cool evening, uh, walking outside or on the porch, it's it, it's heavenly. It's just just heavenly. We have. It, I think it's really the golden age of pipe tobacco now. I mean, there's so many blenders and so many manufacturers who have so many blends. I mean, how can I stick with one blend? There's so many blends to try. And that's coming <laughs> from somebody who is at. Peretti's and Ehrlich's and in Manhattan in the 70s when there was a ton of pipe shops. Oh, yeah. Manhattan had great pipe shops. I mean, I, when I'm in Manhattan, I always go to pipe shops, except the tax is so, so heavy on tobacco in Manhattan that I, I rarely buy tobacco in Manhattan unless I'm getting it through the mail. Um, in reality, I mean, the, the tax on tobacco is just so high. Um, in Massachusetts also, except I tend to buy most of my tobacco um, on the web. So I buy at mail order pretty much mostly all. 
and I would imagine there's not a lot of pipe smokers where you are kind of tucked up there in the mountains either. There's no pipe shops here in uh, in the Berkshires. And um, I used to go to Albany, and they were terrific pipe shops in Albany. Uh, Mel Feldman's pipe shop, The Smoker, was just such a great place to go. And uh, I loved Mel Feldman. Uh, I, I loved talking with him, and the man was so wise. And, you know, he'd say to me, what kind of pipes do you like? And I'd say, oh, I like uh, Meerschaums. He says, wait a minute. And he'll, he'll go downstairs and bring up this this bin, you know, this <laughs> this huge bin. He'll take the cover over. He's like, you know, 100 Meerschaums, you know. Take a look at these. I go, geez, man, what do you have these? Oh, yeah, I've got all these pipes. So, And there's Park Lane uh, tobacconist in, uh, in the Albany area. Uh, there are quite a few tobacco, uh, pipe and tobacco stores in the Albany area. So Albany's pretty good. And Boston, of course, which I go to Boston frequently. Um, and in the Boston metropolitan area, there's so many really good pipe shops. So many. Now, let's yeah, talk let's about talk. for a little bit what you're doing now. Oh, okay. I- explain to us exactly, you're, you're out doing customer service training, motivational speech, you know, mot- giving motivational speeches, yeah, my the work that I do is primarily to develop workshops and seminars and uh, and lectures uh, to help people increase the likelihood of positive outcomes in their work and in their lives, whatever that happens to be. So if I'm working with a restaurant or a hotel, for example, a lot of my clients are, are in the hospitality industry, I might do a workshop for their um, for their staff, for their team. And part of it might be some basic uh, customer service type training, which is essentially just common sense about how to treat people and how to communicate and how body language sends messages and how not to take this personally when it's not about you and how to get yourself in a good mood and get yourself out of a bad mood and how to manage your stress better so when you have a, a difficult situation, it doesn't completely ruin your day. And how emotions are contagious. That is, people can catch your emotion, and you can catch other people's emotion. They're like viruses, you know? Someone comes into work and they're in a bad mood. It's like they're poisoning the entire environment, not just the the guests or the customers. Uh, I mean, this is all basic common sense, uh, but I like to teach it in ways that enable um, action, that is to develop new habits of thinking or habits of behavior, or habits of managing one's own um, moods or or one's own psychology, which really comes down to understanding how the brain works, essentially, basic neuroscience, um, why we stress out, what our stress triggers, what to do about that. And then um, I'm sometimes hired to uh, give a a keynote speech at a conference um, that might be a trade show or it might be an educational conference for any number of, uh, of industries, uh, so many different companies I've, I've spoken for. And those often have a, an entertainment component. You know, people say, what do you do? I say, well, actually, I'm kind of a motivational vaudevillian. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit of, of, of humor and a little bit of situational comedy and a lot of really good content. 
and I print up all these little cards, like business cards, that have some of the main points that I teach on them, and I give them out so people can remember them and utilize them. Because one of the things that, that we all know is you could read a book that has great ideas in it, or you could watch a TED Talk on the Internet, or go to a class or a seminar or an executive retreat, and you get brilliant ideas. You go, this would really help my life. This is a super good idea for me. Whether it's write down five things you're grateful for every day or do some mindfulness meditation or do a to-do list or do Pilates or, or drink more water or eat fewer carbs or something, you go, this, this is a really good idea for me. I'm going to do this and my life will be better. And, of course, if I do it, my life will be better, but most people don't do it. Um, they usually forget after a day or two or they just don't do it. And so... The little cards are ways to remind yourself to do it and to focus your attention on little bits of wisdom. I have one card that says, I make my choices based on the outcomes I most desire. So you read this little card every day and you think, all right, what kind of outcomes do I most desire? And what kind of choices can I make that will increase the, the likelihood of those outcomes? Now, we have emotional outcomes, we have financial outcomes, we have relationship outcomes, we have health outcomes, all kinds of outcomes. So if I think a little bit more in terms of, okay, if I want to be healthier, maybe I won't eat that second piece of pie. Okay, that makes sense. Want to be healthier, don't eat the second piece of pie. Ah, I make my choice based on the outcome I most desire. Brilliant, but so simple. I have this really terrific card which has four questions on it, and the questions are, what is important, what is meaningful, what is right for me, and what do I want most? And what I suggest to people is they read that little card every day and then just write for one or two minutes, whatever comes into their mind, and to do this maybe four times a week. And if you do this, after a couple of weeks of this, you will probably know on a deeper level what's important to you, what's meaningful to you, what's right for you, and what you want most, just because you're focusing your attention on it in a, in a methodical way, and you're writing things down that come out of your head. Now, this is not rocket science, but the effect on one's life when one does this can be so profound and so transformational you think why doesn't everybody do this you know and well people don't and so that's why I have work to remind people to do it <laughs> and to print up these little cards and things like that and that and that keeps you busy full-time well pretty much I've written a couple of books um, one book is called um, eternal cosmic wisdom at bargain basement prices and the other book is called Attention Lake Bloomers, You're Right on Time. And both of these books are collections of tools and techniques and strategies and stories and worksheets and ideas to basically help you um, get from where you are to where you want to be, how to make positive changes in attitude and thinking and behavior uh, that will increase the likelihood of outcomes that are important to you. And the, the way that I teach and the stuff that I write about is, is just so practical and rational. I take a very, very practical, rational uh, approach to my topic, the sort of thing that whatever your particular BS is, that is your belief system, right? We all have our own BS, right, our own belief system, our own biases, prejudices, uh, understandings of what's possible in the world, and 
some people have a very small belief window, as it were, that they don't think that very much wonderful stuff is possible for them. And some people have a very large belief window, that is, their bias is that it's possible I can be happy, have love, have a meaningful career, have a, a meaningful life, have good things. And if I believe that, then I can make choices that increase the likelihood of it, even though there are no guarantees. You know, we have to be, we have to be rational. We live on Earth. It's a tough planet. You know, we have ups and downs. Um, you know, not everything goes our way all the time. And I think the key to having a, a meaningful, successful life is learning how to navigate the ups and the downs. And the easiest way to do that, uh, I think, has to do with gratitude. Um, easiest tool, uh, write down three to five things that make you feel really grateful. Do that four to five times a week and don't stop. And that can kind of change your perspective over time, make it easier when you go through adversity. You don't deny that you're going through adversity. You just navigate it easier because you realize you have a gazillion things that are wonderful going on at the same time. Does the pipe help you kind of focus? Yeah, I like to smoke my pipe while I write. I do. Um, when I wrote both of my books, I pretty much was smoking my pipe all the time when I was writing. So I do like to, to smoke my pipe while I write. And whatever tobacco I, I'm enjoying at the time, you know, I, it's not like, well, you see, Latakia helps me think better. And now I'm, no, it's not like that. You know, it's, it's whatever I'm smoking, I enjoy. And I do love to smoke my pipes. I, I don't smoke a lot, usually two bowls a day, usually one in the morning and one in the afternoon. That's kind of my routine. And when I'm on the road, I usually don't smoke a pipe while I travel. And I travel frequently, but I don't miss it. But when I come back home and I smoke my pipe after not having smoked for maybe uh, two days, it's just even more pleasurable. So kind of a little bit of time off from it, and it's all the better. It seems that way to me. Although when I'm, when I'm riding, I'll smoke more than two bowls a day. <laughs> <laughs> We have a lot of younger listeners that are in the audience. Uh, do you have one little bit of advice that will help them as they get out into the work world? Sure. I would say focus on the things that you can control or manage. Don't worry about the things that you cannot control or manage. You can control your, your choices. You can make good choices. And in order to make good choices, you have to think about what outcomes you seek. That is, if you want success in the workplace, you have to determine what choices do I need to make today that will increase the likelihood of that success. That might mean uh, dressing a certain way, behaving a certain way, doing certain things, um, sending certain messages, communicating in, in a way that, that is consistent with who you are and what it is that you want to have happen. And I would say that the, the old uh, to-do list, that is a list of, of, of tasks that you want to perform, you know, is a great way to increase the likelihood that you will do those tasks. But I also recommend that on your to-do list, you also put attitude things and, and thinking things, like to-do, um, have, uh, constructive thinking, uh, be a be a practical optimist. Uh, 
choose to see the good in people. I mean, all all the old cliches about, you know, do the right thing, um, you know, think before you speak, look before you leap, count to 10 before you get angry. I say actually 20 or 30 is better, you know, (laughs) count to 30, you know, before you lose your mind and, and, you know, make a choice that is stupid. People make stupid choices all the time because a part of their brain that is the defensive part um, in the limbic system, the amygdala, which gets triggered when it thinks it's being threatened. And then people fight first. And then they, later they go, oh, what the hell did I do here? You know, <laughs> this is awful. You know, I shouldn't have done that. That's one of the most important things is to, is to learn about, about the gap, the pause between stimulus and response, the pause between the trigger and what it is that I do, how I respond to, to the stimulus, whether the stimulus is, is someone that's being rude to you or someone you think is disrespecting you or you think you're getting a rotten deal or something that makes you want to just lose your cool, you want to just pause and think, if I lose my cool, what's that going to do to me? And then you might reconsider that. And then as a result, you've got a whole better life going on. So that's more than one thing, but I figure I can do that because I'm the guest. <laughs> and you are the expert. Yes. I, I have studied this area for over 30 years, uh, not as an academic and not as a psychologist, but as just a regular pipe-smoking guy that wanted to learn how to be happier and wanted to learn how to be a, quote, better person, unquote, whatever that means, better person. To me, being a better person meant being kinder, more patient, more compassionate, more generous. Um, those things, to me, are more meaningful, that I can be kinder to someone, I could be more patient. And I had to develop some of those qualities. I wasn't very patient. And um, actually, it was that near-death experience thing that, that was the catalyst for me. So I almost got killed, but it was a catalyst really for the rest of my life which is a lesson for us kids that sometimes the miracle uh, is clothed in what appears to be adversity or, or, or awfulness, that, you know, that sometimes the, the, the seed of the miracle in your life is clothed in what appears to be crap. And, you know, it turns out to not be crap at all. It turns out to be the catalyst for a better life. Sometimes that happens. Jerry, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Okay, I'm ready. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a a Meerschaum pipe carved by F. Bakke. It is a lattice, a beautifully carved lattice. It is my favorite pipe. What's your favorite tobacco? That, that's a ridiculous question. That's my answer. <laughs> What's your favorite drink? Coffee, black. And when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Sometimes it's all three simultaneously. <laughs> and at the same time, too. Yeah, that too. And last question, any particularly favorite pipe-smoking memory? Yeah, this is kind of a funny one. So... I'm like 18 or 19, and I go to a concert at the Fillmore East in New York City, 
Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. <laughs> and when I'm down there in Greenwich Village, I buy this pipe, which I thought was just kind of a novelty item. I thought, well, this is like a tribal, you know, pipe. It had beads on it, and it was long, and it was metal. And in my mind, I'm not thinking, oh, this is a pipe for some other substance. I'm thinking, oh, this is just an interesting pipe. So I buy this pipe, and I, I'm at the Port Authority bus terminal in New York waiting for my bus back to New Jersey. And I have Balkan Sobrani tobacco with me, a tin of it. And I'm sitting in this bus station, and there's hundreds of people around. And I pull out this, beer, this beaded pipe, you know, this, and I stuff Balkan Sobrani tobacco in it, and I sit there and I smoke it. And nobody says anything. <laughs> nobody looks at me funny. Nobody calls a cop. Like, what? It's like, it was like the most normal thing in the world. And I look back at this, and I think, I'm, nobody said anything. I mean, I, it's, it's a highly aromatic tobacco coming out of there. And easily someone could have thought I you know, was smoking some illegal substance, but I wasn't. It was Balkan Sobrani. And uh, I just thought that it's such a funny image to have me sitting there at the Port Authority bus terminal with a, essentially a dope pipe smoking Balkan Sobrani tobacco with hundreds of people there. <laughs> I just think that's, that was a funny image. To learn more about Jerry, the website is jerryposner.com, J-E-R-R-Y-P-O-S-N-E-R.com. There's uh, links on there to Amazon to purchase both of his books and to uh, get a hold of him right off the website. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook as well. Jerry, thank you very much for your time and thanks for all the stories. Brian, it was really a pleasure, and uh, I'm honored that you chose me to be on the show. Thank you so very much. We'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. If you want to learn more about Jerry, go to his website, www.jerryposner.com. It's J-E-R-R-Y-P-O-S-N-E-R.com. We'll put a link to that on the 
Pipes Magazine radio show page. And you can also uh, find a link to his books from his website there as well. All right, for music, those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer by Nat King Cole. Perfect song to start off the Memorial Day weekend here in the United States, which is the traditional kickoff to the summer season. So here's a little Nat King Cole. Soda and pretzels and beer Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer Dust off the sun and moon and sing a song of cheer Just fill your basket full of sandwiches and weenies Then lock the house up, now you're set and on the beach you'll see the girls in their bikinis As cute as ever, but they never get them wet Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer Those days of soda and pretzels and beer Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer you wish that summer could always be Driving are some romantic movie scene. Why, from the moment that those lovers start arriving, you'll see more kissing in the cars and on the screen. Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer, those days of soda and pretzels and beer. Roll out those lazy. That summer could always be here. You wish that summer could always be here. You wish that summer could always be here. Pretzels and beer and wieners and bikinis. All things I love about summer. I don't want summer to be here all year long, though. I do like a little winter break. Sunday, Monday, you've got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. In the mailbag, I'm going to take on two emails only, just two tonight. The first one from Sean, and it says, Brian, I've been meaning to get in touch with you for some time now. I found the radio show very much by accident one day about a year ago and have been an avid listener ever since. I, like a few other listeners you've mentioned, went all the way back to the beginning and proceed to embark on a Pipes Magazine radio show binge. I was listening to two or three shows a day until I was current. It was truly a blast. I spent a lot of time listening, re-listening, and scribbling notes the whole time. I've been an occasional pipe smoker for about 17 years now. Most of my time with a pipe, in retrospect, was not all that enjoyable, and mostly consisted of turning my mouth into shoe leather with a very hot, wet, gurgling pipe. 
Yet through all the unpleasantness, I continued on because it seemed to speak to me in a very primal way. I was still attracted to the pipe for some unknown reason. After discovering the show and learning a few basic tips to improve the smoking experience, it has finally become the truly enjoyable experience I always somehow knew it could be. So for that, I'm very grateful. Throughout the episodes, I've found many things we have in common that give me a chuckle. First, I'm from California and lived there twice and finally liberated myself from that state permanently. We both enjoy firearms and aren't really into hunting. Uh, My first career was in the firearms industry and I'm very passionate about all things firearms related. We are both lefties. I loved your bit recently about being a left-handed person in a right-handed world. Uh, You're going to love this coming up too. Uh, this all added this all added up meant you couldn't be that bad of a guy. Well, I could be. Um, I have also taken your advice and I'm planning to attend the West Coast Pipe Show in November. I'm very excited and literally counting the days to go. I believe you mentioned that you would be there, so I will make it a point to track you down and introduce myself. I will be there. I will be there. It's the first weekend, first full weekend in November, and I'm thinking about organizing a... Sunday night, Pipes Magazine radio show, Pipe Puff at Paris. If the weather's nice enough, we'll see. Maybe we can get a whole bunch of us pipe puffers and go down to the uh, strip. And I know a spot right at the Eiffel Tower where we can sit outside and smoke. Um, then he goes on to answer the Fast Five favorite questions. Can't even say it. Favorite pipe, T. Polinski from Poland. Bought when my son was born. It's a very large quarter bent Dublin nose warmer, I guess. Tobacco, Frogmorton, or Malta Dolce depends on my mood. Drink, very mood-dependent. 21-year-old Scotch, Port, B&B, coffee. Uh, Relax with a pipe, lock-picking. Bet you've never heard that one before. Not to worry, I work for the government. I'm allowed, if not encouraged, to keep this little hobby sharp. Uh, Best pipe-smoking memories involve sitting down with complete pipe-smoking strangers and getting to know them. Some great and often strange conversations ensue. Well, thanks for allowing me to take a few minutes of your time. Keep up the great radio show. It has been a real education and very entertaining. Warmest regards, Sean, a.k.a. Condor172. Sean, glad you're enjoying it. Uh, Be interested to see what notes you scribbled down. Be really interested because that would be uh, fascinating to see what stuck out to you. And finally, from Jeff Bear, he posted this on our Facebook page. Um, I wholeheartedly, I'm going to paraphrase this because it's a page and a half, but he says, I wholeheartedly disagree with the lobbyist comments that individuals should not express their thoughts directly to the FDA. Uh, The lobbyist you're referring to is Paul Creasy, president of Sutliff Tobacco Company and head of the Pipe Tobacco Council, which is a industry lobbying group. Uh, He goes on to say that industry trade groups have a financial motivation to challenge pending legislation that's widely understood and dramatically different than hobbyists who may be giving up their rights. Uh, Yeah, but without the financial side of it, there's no manufacturers and then there's no hobbyists involved in it. Uh, In order to save some time here, I'm going to jump down to what kind of stuck out to me which is the whole idea, he writes, the whole idea strikes me as opposed to the founding principles of our country. We are being told you aren't smart enough to handle the issues as private citizens. What he's referring to is Paul asking us to not address the FDA directly as individuals. Um, 
what he says is let big business handle it for you instead. Yes, sadly, we probably aren't well-spoken enough to play effectively in the political arena, but that's where we asked for industry help. Tell us the best way to send our message and how can we unify behind the issue. What we get instead is be quiet and let the smart guys handle it. Does that not raise a concern for anyone else? Uh, next party writes is writing our representatives in Congress is a great idea, but insisting that we write to them on paper is outdated and uninformed. The lobbyists offered no reason why paper is more effective, just said to do it that way. I've written my representatives many times over the years via snail mail, fax, and now email. I've gotten a much higher response rate and what I felt was more sincere response via email. Yes, we all know their staffers read the letters and send form responses, but at least via email you get the response and know that your comments were received and passed along, even if only in the form of a tally mark on the pro letters versus con letters list. I can see how paper would be more effective than that, and before anyone argues the concern around congressmen receiving a form letter from 1,000 constituents via email, I would suggest that isn't 1,000 form letters saying, I agree with these points raised by Pipes Magazine editorial staff more effective than no letters at all. Uh, I'm going to throw in my two cents on this, and I am the leading expert on my own opinion. The problem with addressing the FDA directly is the FDA is an independent agency and it is a scientific and research and, bureau and bureaucracy. They don't think the way a consumer does or the way somebody does in the capitalist business world. Think more along the lines of academia. Bureaucracies work the same way college campuses do, the same way schools do. It's a whole different mindset. What my concern is, as somebody who's in the industry and in the hobby, is that we send out a whole bunch of erratic messages and raise a flag of a problem with pipe tobacco. Right now, pipe tobacco is not really being assaulted in the FDA regulations. There's a couple of things in there that bother us, but right now it's not really being targeted. Right now, the FDA is very much interested in targeting the e-cigarettes. So, if we send a lot of letters that are, or send a lot of comments to FDA in regards to pipe tobacco, it may send up some red flags that would have them look deeper into it. Second thing is, I know from talking to politicians that they are getting inundated with emails, especially mine locally, um, they get inundated with a ton of emails. The ones that they do tend to look at more are the hard written pieces of paper that come in the mail because that takes more time than just cutting, pasting, clicking, send. That is much more of a commitment behind the message that you actually took the time to write a letter. It may have been copied and printed, but it went in the mail, so therefore it's a hard piece in front of them and not just a line on an inbox. Those are my thoughts on that. Uh, hey, listen, keep posting your thoughts and comments on the forums. Send them to me. Got anything you want to send to me privately? Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. And in just a minute, rant time. This is Internet Radio. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, 
Educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Cowboy. So as I said a couple of weeks ago, yes, I'm left-handed, I'm left-handed, born that way, sorry, nothing I can do, but here's a few more things that are left-handed. How many of you know of the marching pattern, which is sinister, dexter, sinister, dexter? Sinister is the left side. It's the left foot first. Why do we have bad... When we have bad luck and we spill salt, why do we toss it over our left shoulder? It's the sinister side, and it's to knock the devil off. Yeah, the left is evil. And yes, old in the olden days, they used to tie your left hand behind your back and smack you and make sure that you'd write with your right hand, because... Being left-handed was wrong. Well, here's a couple other things that are left-handed. Posted a picture of three of my favorite and most beloved Disneyland coffee mugs or Disney coffee mugs. All the writing on the inside of them. If I'm left-handed, I've got my mouth on that and I can't see it. Turn it around. Those are right-handed coffee mugs so you can see the writing. Take a look at those pictures. Uh, Kitchen faucets. All kitchen and bathroom faucets. Where is the hot water? I'm left-handed. The first thing I want to do is use my left hand to turn on. It's the hot water. Well, no, they're all right-handed because cold water's on the right side. You want to turn the cold on first and then bring the hot up so you don't burn your hands. And every door that I've ever run into, you want to open it with your right hand and walk through. If I go to open it with my left hand, I smack myself in the face with it. Or I end up pushing through the door. Yes, modern day doors are all right-handed for you 90% out there that are all right-handed. Uh, last thing, keyboard. On a standard keyboard on a computer, where is the number keypad? It's on the right side. Yes, I know you can get left-handed keyboards that have the number thing on the left side, but those are a special order. The ones they all have on the on the shelves all right-handed, and on a keyboard, where's the return key or the enter key? It's on the right side. Yeah, it's a right-handed world, and I'm a left-handed guy living in it, but hey, I guess, listen, I guess it's a uh, not a pipe smoker's world, but I'm living in it anyway. All right, don't forget, coming up uh, June 20th, 21st, 22nd, Kansas City Pipe Show, then 
Next pipe show that I'll be at is in August, the NASPC show in Columbus, Ohio. Shortly following that, I believe we're doing another Nashville pipe swap meetup thing. And this show's gone on long enough. That'll get you through the summer. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Jerry for joining me. And thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails now, hats, coats, galoshes over here. But hurry, please. We have so much time and so little to see. Wait a minute. Strike that. Reverse it. Thank you. <laughs>